Welcome to the People's Revolution podcast. This is a space where we share stories from activists around the world. We hope that these stories inspire you to act locally as we share globally. Welcome to the September episode of the People's Revolution podcast. We are going to start with a land acknowledgement, as always. A recognition that we are on stolen land is not enough when the genocide we call history still continues today and is reinforced by the daily lives of those unaware. Residential schools only closed their last doors in 1997, but the mentality of the residential schools live on. White people, imagine living in a place that not only normalizes genocide, but actively covers it up. We don't live here because a peaceful treaty was signed. We live here because white people before us brutally pushed their way in. This includes our current government, RCMP, and church, and we need to acknowledge this and the harmful systems it brought with it before we can even attempt to create reconciliation. It is a privilege to not know that you are living in such a way that makes a genocidal reality seem like regular everyday life. I would still like to recognize that the stolen land I am speaking from is rightfully the home of the Blackfoot nations and was forced to be the home of Treaty 7. This land is the traditional territories of the Blackfoot nations where the six Agatsisipi lived and practiced their oral traditions as far back as existence goes. These nations are Siksika, Gaina, and Pigani. Treaty 7 was signed on September 22, 1877 in a brutally unethical way. This treaty was not upheld. Treaty 7 includes the Sutina Nation, the Stony Nakoda Nations, and the Métis Nation of Region 3. So this space, known as Calgary, is actually rightfully known as Mokinstis. Today we have William Brown. William Brown is an activist with anti-racist action. Calgary Anti-Racist Action is a revolutionary, anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist organization committed to opposing far-right nationalism and all discrimination in our community via inclusive grassroots organizing. He has also been involved in other organizations over his past seven years of activism. Hi, William. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Um, And I just want to say that was like a really solid land acknowledgement that was super good it goes it went like way beyond what most people just do for a land acknowledgement you know just like the simple listing of the nations and so on that was really nice yeah good job on that one thank you i was actually taught that acknowledging the treaty in itself is racist and Mm. i should not do that and so that created this Um, yeah that makes sense yeah yeah thank you for that I'm really excited to talk to you today. You've been an activist in Calgary for so freaking long. And uh, you have no, so sorry, much. sorry. Continue. My apologies. You're like, ah, don't don't say that. <laughs> um, and you've been involved in so many different aspects of it. And I, I'm just really excited to hear your story and then your story with anti-racist action as well. Yeah, thank you. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I just get a little bit awkward when I feel like people are putting too much praise on me, I guess. Um, Like, I don't think I've been doing this for too long. Like, maybe relatively in Calgary activist years, I got involved probably around like 2015, 2016, 
around then. Yeah, because I was still in high school and I graduated in uh, 2016 because I'm like only 22. Uh, so I've been doing this for like five or six years, give or take, if that's right. I'm not good at math. Um, but yeah, so if I, I guess if that's been doing this for a long time, then I have been. But, you know, it's just kind of been a learning process the whole, the whole time more than anything. Yeah, well, it is a long time. <laughs> and and it is and it is important, I feel like. And I know it's always hard to accept nice things that are said about us. I get that. But today we're going to toot your horn so much. Um, so I'd like to start with talking about you. What is your backstory? What brought you to first get involved in activism in high school? Um, I first got involved in activism. My story isn't like that exciting, at least not at first. I got involved in politics uh, for for reasons that aren't like necessarily that are and aren't actually at all very like glamorous. I always had more of or almost always had more of a leaning towards um, left wing politics, at least when um, I entered like high school because uh, I had um, I've grown up in like uh, not the greatest of conditions all things considered I don't really know how to how to word it but like uh, my mom unfortunately has had uh, several accidents throughout her life like one really severe workplace accident and um, also a very bad car accident when I was when I was young that's um, rendered her like uh, physically incapable of uh, working uh, but she's always struggled to get on a she's only been she's only ever been just on like normal uh, disability, which is only $800 a month. Um, now that I've turned uh, 18 before that it was a, a little bit more, I think maybe $1,000 uh, a month. Um, but that's still not like a whole lot of money. But that's all we we really had growing up until uh, eventually I uh, dropped out of university and started working. But um uh, so for, you know, for those kinds of reasons, I always had like an affinity towards uh, left wing politics. Uh, and because of that, like in high school, like I was always very outspoken in any kind of like as political a situation you can be in in a high school, like social studies classes during relevant conversations, um, model parliament, things like that. Um, funny enough, actually, when I was when I did model parliament in high school, I was a part of the NDP. Um, so that's, that's interesting, but, uh, so because of all this, it, it kind of became like a running joke amongst people who knew me that they would like refer to me as like a communist, just because like I had, you know, vaguely left-wing politics or whatever, which even back in 2016, as if that was even all that long ago, um, meant that of course you must be a communist. So that was kind of the joke, um, but then eventually I kind of started thinking like I, I because of that, I kind of got it more interested in like, OK, well, what does you know, what um, does that kind of ideology like actually say? Like, you know, uh, you know, is there more uh, to left wing politics than what I've uh, read uh, so far? Uh, which was mostly just like super basic, like liberal stuff, like because in high school, I had to read like John Locke and shit like that. Right. Um, 
so I read, you know, obviously the, the first thing that most people would try to read, I, I read the manifesto. Um, and I was like, yeah, okay. I'm kind of vibing with this and whatnot. And that's kind of how it got started. And I just started, you know, reading more from there. Uh, and eventually one day I was sitting in like computer class, I think. Um, and, uh, me and my friends were just kind of like fucking around and we were like talking shit and, um, they were making more like jokes like that. Right. And, uh, eventually I can't remember exactly what made, what prompted me to do it, but I like Googled, uh, communist party, Canada. Like I didn't know if there was a party or anything like that. Um, but so I go, I Googled that and that led me to the communist party of Canada's website and, almost as like a gag at first admittedly i know that sounds bad but like bear with me like admittedly kind of as a gag at first i applied to join the party um and then i got an email back um after way too long I'm j i'll just say that flat out uh I, I i don't know if they've gotten like faster at responding to people now but i remember when i sent them the email first it took it took them like a month to be like, hey, thank you for your interest. We've got somebody in Calgary who can meet you. And so I, I met I met the guy who's the central organizer for uh, Club Red, the chapter of the Communist Party here in Calgary. Um, I, I don't know how I feel about saying anybody's name. Uh, I'm going to not. I'm going to not. But so the central organizer for Club Red is, I'll refer to him as the CEO for Club Red. That's the fastest way I can do it. Uh, the CEO for Club Red met up with me and he was like, oh, you're like young. You're like in high school still. There's two other people here in Calgary who want to start a chapter of the YCL, the Young Communist League. Um, but you need three people to start a club. So do you want to help start the club in Calgary? I was like, yeah, sure. Like I, I say I first uh, uh, applied as like sort of a gag and that is true. But like, I, 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 I don't want that. I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. When I did get started, I did take it um, pretty seriously, actually too seriously, like right from the start. Um, but that that was that was how I I'm starting to go like on for so long. But that was how I first got started. Um, which now that I kind of say it like that, um, kind of makes it seems like I dove head first into the deep end right away. Like I, I was like, I'm going to finally get involved with like actual on the ground politics. And like, I didn't join like the NDP youth or like any bullshit like that. I was just like, let's give her. <laughs> um, and through, through working with the YCL and eventually I did get invited to join the party and I did, um, but so throughout uh, my time with the YCL and the CPC, uh, you know, I met more and more people uh, and started working with all these different organizations. Most um, significantly is Jason Devine, whose name I will say is I know he won't mind. Um, and we'll talk about him later because him and I are, are doing another thing with you in the future, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, uh, later at the end of the podcast, probably. Yes. Uh, and so, yeah, that's how I first got involved with ARA in particular, because Jason's been an organizer with the ARA since like the 90s. Uh, so him and I and a few other people 
because at the time I, I met Jason, um, things had kind of been had kind of been in like a, a, a slump, like when it came to like things that were going on politically, like it had been quite some time since Occupy Calgary had happened. And, you know, things were kind of just uh, slow, bland, wh- wh- however you want to call it. Um, but they were definitely like, you, you know, this this feeling that it was a calm before the storm. And there were still a lot more people starting to get involved. Um, so me and Jason had, you know, been talking for quite some time, uh, like a couple of months at that point. And there was, you know, other um, people we knew who wanted to get involved. So we were like, fuck it. Like the rest of the YCL members, some people with the CPC and then some other people with other orgs wanted to get involved with some kind of like anti-fascist action. Cause this was around, this was like, this would have been just before um, like the things that led up to Charlottesville. Um, if everybody remembers what happened with, with, with Charlottesville, the Unite the Right rally. Um, tiki and, torches. Yeah. The Tiki torches and all that stuff. <sighs> so, you know, we founded uh, what was like kind of like the third iteration of ARA in Calgary, which was Calgary Anti-Fascist Action or CAFO, we referred to ourselves as. We uh, mostly did um, counter organizing against various far right groups um, in the city. In Calgary, it was specifically a lot of Islamophobic groups. Um, the right wing, or sorry, the Worldwide Coalition Against Islam, the 3%, the Canadian Combat Coalition, you know, all those, all those different kinds of, of groups. Um, and eventually, uh, for various reasons that I like don't want to get into here, because it is not important. And I'm super big now on like avoiding sectarianism and like, like, uh, left wing in fighting on ideological grounds. I'm like super against it because that is basically what led to the implosion of CAFA. Like um, there were other things that happened. Like some people uh, admittedly, including myself did do some like pretty egregious things. And there was uh, a central argument between balancing like organizing democratically and security culture um and some people listening to that might be thinking like why was that a debate like why is the why are those two things that have to stand in opposition or contradiction to one another and in hindsight i would agree um but at the time there were basically like two large factions within the organization that weren't able to reconcile our differences um and the organization kind of imploded because of that um a lot of the people who were on the other in the other sort of faction um disappeared for quite some time um but i think i'm like i've had enough time to sit with it now and you know uh get over everything that happened to say that like i'm happy to see that some of them are starting to now get at least a little bit involved again um uh in various things uh, Jason Less and unity, everyone. Less yeah, unity. Exactly. Um, and from there, Jason and I basically kind of picked up the pieces for lack of a better term. Um, and we uh founded the fourth iteration, which we just refer to now again, Calgary anti-racist action. 
And uh, yeah, now kind of here we are, we've been doing focusing mostly on coalition building, if I had to, to say anything like working with different organizations like Sharp, Inclusive Canada, uh, BLM Calgary and all that, all, all those sorts of, of organizations. And also doing um, some work with uh, mutual aid groups as well. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I've been going on for like quite some time. That was like no, that's perfect. Like that I, was I, that was great. Thank you. I guess that was kind of more or less the story. Um, yeah, I, I wanna... I'll let you. I'll let you respond to anything or ask questions about anything you want. Now, I could definitely use like a a, a moment here. Yeah. Well, I like I remember when anti-fascist action would come out and I honestly really appreciated you as a group, like your entire group. Um, I also witnessed um, for people that are listening that didn't live in Calgary at the time or didn't like attend these things um, like white supremacists and white supremacist like ask groups like and this means like armed white supremacists and like your regular everyday super right-wing Jesus, no offense people, white supremacists. Um, and they would be around City Hall, in front of City Hall, doing homophobic things, doing anti-Islam things, or like whatever they wanted to call it, um, quite frequently. Um, and they really made it their space. And there was counter-protest, but I really loved when you guys rolled in and just told them to... <laughs> told them in many different ways um, how they were not welcome. And that was greatly, greatly appreciated. Um, and it really does tie into things right now. Um, because again, people that don't live in Calgary that are listening, we have a big racist problem here right now. And it's a lot of the same people, which is. is super unfortunate. Like they went into hiding for a bit and now they're back. Yeah, I was just about to to wait for a moment to interject and point out that a lot of the people we struggled against back then, we are still struggling against now. Thankfully, not all of them. We we did, I will still maintain, successfully drive off quite a few of them. Um, like, and there are some who we've seen like once or twice, but other than that, like you know, like Joey DeLuca and those kinds of fucking goofs. But anyways, um, like Arter Pulowski is like a big one the big one uh big fish he's yeah he's uh the the big fish in our troubled waters um yeah yeah for people listening he is the person that brought tiki torch rallies to alberta um he was previously the pastor quote-unquote pastor um for worldwide coalition against islam um he Put, personally put on a lot of the homophobic rallies which he called anti-lgbt rallies not cool uh he he was involved with the worldwide coalition against islam and uh and a bunch of those other groups he always finds a way like he does have numbers in his own organization for sure um but more than anything he he's very good um like i don't want to feel like i'm fucking complimenting him or whatever but you know we have to you know, admit what the people we're struggling against are, are doing. And I think he has undeniably been very good at uh, like building coalitions on the other side, like amongst the far right in Calgary. Like I think the amount of different organizations and individuals he's worked with and involved with is like 
a testament to that. And boy, does he ever fucking love testaments. Yes. And it's also very important, I think, to note that people that he has platformed politically 2016, 2015 are actually in politics, not all of them, but some of them are in there right now. Um, and that it's just creating, the, and for lack of a better term, it's creating the invisible empire, like just the racists plotting themselves into politics. And these are the platforms that they're using to get there. And like people listening to this podcast if you google his name clicking on his stuff gives him money it does um which is really unfortunate but he is a he's a really bad guy <laughs> and he's been the cause of a lot of issues here if you want to see the sort of things that arthur has said like in the past when you remember those the the floods that kind of wrecked southern alberta not kind of did wreck southern alberta oh i remember this um he made a statement that he eventually had to take down because court whatever um no it's still on his website oh is it still on his website okay sorry i must it's have been like, thinking of something it, else it's like his like sermon or whatever okay he he said that the floods that hit southern alberta were like a punishment from god because canada legalized uh gay marriage right uh which is whack obviously um, it's, you know, the sort of thing that is so egregious, but we've also just gotten like, unfortunately, so accustomed to hearing, but no matter how desensitized we've become to it, we still like have to struggle against that sort of, you know, rhetoric in our community, especially when it's coming from somebody who has the kind of, uh, clout that Pulowski does. Yes. Yeah. And this year really amped up that clout which is really unfortunate so i don't feel as bad slightly adding to it right now but mm -hmm. it since the tiki torch rallies and then the you know the closure of churches with covid like this person jumps on every train that's available and this is the train that's available right now and he took it and he exaggerated it and he filmed it and he ran with it and unfortunately, it made international news and it's embarrassing yeah. to be from a space where someone so fucked up is thriving. Uh, everything that Calgary has and Alberta has gotten into international news for, which has actually been quite a bit in the last like two years, everything we've been in international news for has been embarrassing. Like everything. Yep, it has been. It really has been. Um, and there hasn't been, there has been news on the counter movements to all the racist far right crap that's happening, but it's just such a big thing here and people find it so normalized. And I think that's like the problem. Like the regular everyday person is like, they see someone like Arthur Pulowski and they're like, this is a street preacher who feeds the houseless people. And you're like, no. He does that so that he can take photos and that's in itself a whole problem. But like getting regular everyday person to see the far right here as problematic has been a journey. Mm -hmm. uh, like, yeah, exactly. And you, you touched on Pulowski's um, sort of strategy with the houseless in Calgary. He definitely uses them as a political shield for, you know, that's definitely what I would call it. 
Um, and it's also worth mentioning that the people he does feed, when he feeds them, he like makes them like, you know, praise Jesus or whatever before he does, which is inappropriate on like multiple levels, like settler colonialism, uh, you know, the links between the, sorry, not the links, the inherent connections between Christianity and, you know, white supremacy and all that in uh, a settler colonial society like Canada. Um, and, you know, I, 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 sh I just want to give a quick aside and point out I'm not saying that as like some, you know, dirtbag, new age, atheist, whatever. I, uh, I am like, I, you know, I do have my own relationship to religion, although I'm not a part of like any organized religious community at the moment. Um, I'm not like an atheist myself at all, actually. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know if I ever brought that up with you. But, um, but yeah, so like, that's not me being like, oh, you know, all these, you know, fucking idiots just aren't enlightened, you know, they need to give up on their, their silly make-believe stories. Like, no, I'm not coming at this from that perspective whatsoever, but I am radically opposed to uh, the actual physical, or rather the structural institutions of Christianity uh, in this country. Um, because of their relationship to settler colonialism uh, and so on. Yeah. And we've also witnessed um, like that sort of Christianity being super, super, super embedded in the right and being like a reason, like the right uses it as a reason to do some of the things that they've been doing. Right. Yeah. yeah. What, what has it been like for you witnessing the round in 2015, 16, 17 of the, the anti-Islam homophobic, all those groups, and then seeing it this time? Um, not necessarily surprising, uh, admittedly. Like, when things kind of calmed down in Calgary again, um, after, give or take, two or three summers definitely two summers of like, well, two years, but you know, most things happen in the summer of struggling against um, these organizations, you know, things calmed down and I, uh, but, but I knew things would obviously pick up again and things were mostly quiet until uh, the uh, public lynching of George Floyd. Um, and of course, the international response that came from that here in Calgary, um, we had uh, a huge resurgence in political activity um, because of that. And, you know, we are still uh, with that energy, like we are now in Calgary in an even better uh, position uh, on the left organizationally than we were uh, at the height of CAFA which I will say at the, at the time when CAF was at its height of activity, we were the largest grassroots organization, uh, left wing uh, grassroots political organization in Calgary, uh, no doubt. Um, but now we're in an even uh, stronger position than we were before, even if um, ARA itself is a very small organization, it's just a, a handful of people. Um, there are so many other organizations and individuals um, you know, that are uh, working together in the city right now. And there is, you know, while there is still work to be done, there's such a strong sense 
of unity at the moment, you know, with some unfortunate exceptions, there are always bumps in the road, but I, I'm, you know, hoping everybody's going to be doing what they can to continue, you know, building bridges, building unity, because we need that more than anything. We need um, a united front, you know. Yeah. That's what George Jackson says. George Jackson um, is one of the, uh, unfortunately, most underrated, I think, revolutionary of our times. He um, was radicalized when he was in prison and uh, he also died in prison during an escape attempt. So everything, all the revolutionary politics uh, and theory that he, he did and wrote uh, were while he was in prison. Um, and uh, he worked with the, he had a relationship with the Black Panthers. He worked with Black Panthers and other Black Power organizations. He himself was a Marxist. He founded a uh, Marxist Black Power uh, organization within prison called the Black Guerrilla Family. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from him is uh, he says, you know, settle your quarrels, come together, understand the reality of the situation, understand that uh, fascism is already here, uh, that many have died who could be saved, and that, you know, countless more will go on to live poor, butchered half lives if we, if we fail to act, uh, come together, uh, discover your humanity and your love and revolution is, is what he says. Mm. I love that. And that's so important. That may not have been exactly word for word, but I think I think I got it pretty close there. Perfect paraphrase. And that's true. Like left unity, although difficult, is necessary because right unity is happening and centrists are not helping. So that's where we're at with that. Uh, What do you think your message would be for people that are unaware of the gravity of this situation? Like the the racist, homophobic, patriarchal mindset that is being portrayed in Calgary and in Alberta, I guess. Um, Some people might disagree with me on this one. Um, Some people might criticize me for sort of alienating people. Um, But I don't really have much patience anymore, admittedly, for people who don't see the gravity of the situation like you must be coming from a place of incredible privilege to not uh be able to read the room at this point not see the writing on the wall and see everything that's going on um from uh you know the rate racial injustices from uh the 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 uh, increasing gravity of the class struggle the incoming uh, you know uh, environmental genocide Uh, as a result of climate change and so on uh like i like my message uh to anybody who doesn't see the gravity of the situation at this point would be to get it the fuck together uh you know you know like george like i just said like george jackson said understand the gravity of the situation understand what we're in like like look around you i don't understand how the fuck anybody could not understand the gravity of the situation when we got 5,200 uh, indigenous kids here uh, in Canada on Turtle Island discovered. Um, well, I don't even want to say discovered because it is important to note, like it, it, the indigenous people of Turtle Island, especially they knew they've always known those kids were there and they've always been saying those kids were there they knew like those kids were never forgotten um i'm i'm going off now but like those kids were never for those kids were never forgotten 
you know, like families know when they're, uh, sorry, families know when their children don't come home. Um, but now that these, uh, these children are finally being uh, actually discovered, people are starting to talk about it. It can't be ignored. And um, it's uh, not history you, also. It, exactly. It's, it's not history. If you can't see what's going on now, the gravity of the situation when so few of the schools have still been searched, but we've already found uh, 5,200 more uh, than the truth and reconciliation has um documented which like the number when we're actually done counting is going to be astronomical um like that was a like a right talking point before people would say things like um well you know like four thousand isn't a genocide but at the end of the day we're first of all um yes it is and second of all we have quite surpassed that number and we're not even anywhere close to being finished so that says a lot yeah so like exactly and so from the indigenous children to seeing um how let's take amazon for example amazon right they had that union vote it failed uh investigations are still going on into um whether or not amazon themselves muddled with the um the 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 vote uh whether or not to unionize um we know about the horrible working conditions within these amazon warehouses um and how so many of the people who work for amazon need to still seek other financial assistance and so on um, and yet uh, Jeff Bezos is one of the possibly at the moment the richest person on earth and he just spent you know uh, this ridiculous sum of money to go to space for 11 uh, you know however long he went into space for a couple of minutes or however long it was um, and you know you have a similar situation with, with, with Elon Musk like the we are we are you know all these people we are seeing the largest transfer of wealth in history um, from the working class to the, the ruling class, the property owner, owners like Musk, Musk, Gates, Bezos, Warren, Buffett, and, uh, you know, so on, Zuckerberg, whoever else. Um, and, uh, you, you know, you have that and then you have like the very obvious, um, uh, you know, rise of the far right all across the world in Eastern Europe, in the United States. Um, and so on. And, you know, here in Canada as well. And then you have the so clear and present um, uh, environmental uh, crisis that we find ourselves in the middle in. And then uh, you also have the, you know, global pandemic that we are still in the middle in. It's not over yet. It's still happening. No matter you know. what Jason Kenny says, it's exactly. not over. Don't listen to that guy. <laughs> Um, you know, we find ourselves at what is undoubtedly like an absolute crossroads of humanity. And the choice for me is obviously, you know, very clearly between radical revolutionary change and, you know, ruin, like extinction, effectively. And, uh, you know, with all this stuff that's going on, if you're looking at all of these things that are going on and you're speaking on it, but you're not speaking about, you know, black power and you're not speaking about indigenous power and you're not speaking about, you know, workers power, then we're not 
speaking the same language, I don't think you're speaking about the right things. And if I can, you know, say one positive thing, that is uh, one thing I do like about the, for lack of a different political climate in Calgary at the moment, is I, I do think um, in Calgary, the, the different organizations we've got working together, um, there are at the very least a lot of people who are very committed to um, promoting a centering of uh, black and indigenous uh, voices and actions here in the city. Um, although I will say, unfortunately, um, I would like to see more people down at uh, the courthouse uh, to support uh, the organizations and the individuals who are down there protesting the continued employment of Alex Dunn. They're demanding um, that he be fired um, and they're, you know, also demanding uh, a large uh, chunk of CPS's budget be defunded and then or rather refunded from the police and back into the community. Um, again, I don't really want to name individuals, but like the organization, the three organizations I would say um, that are, are behind that are uh, Inclusive Canada, um, Black Lives Matter, YYC, and uh, Black People United Calgary. Um, and Monday to Friday, eight to five, they're in front of the courthouse in Calgary. Yeah, like, please go down and support them. I know there are um, a lot of other things going on right now, but if you're going to go downtown for any of the things that are happening, I seriously believe your best your time is best spent down there at the courthouse. You know, I know there are like a lot of people protesting, like the lifting of restrictions, um, which, you know, there should be people protesting that that is something we have to struggle against, but they are, they're getting good numbers. You know, a lot of like liberals are going out to support that. So if you're listening to this, especially if you're like a political radical, and you're listening to this, if you're going to go down and support anything, definitely go down uh, to the courthouse to support them and their struggle against um, the Calgary, uh, sorry, uh, the CPS. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Done with done. Or, and you know, not even if you're a radical, even if you're like a liberal, like, and if you're someone who's been going down to the, you know, uh, you know, the anti, uh, what, how would you refer to the, there's, what are the, the protests being called, um, that are protesting against the restrictions being lifted? Pro-health measure. Okay, sure. Thank you. The pro-health, uh, the pro-health care measure, um, protests. If you're someone who's been going down to those every day, you know, please, maybe, or no, not maybe, like seriously, please take a break from that for one, two, three, fuck a week, please just go down, you know, support uh, the folks who are struggling down at the courthouse. They're doing phenomenal, phenomenal work. And I'll be, uh, you know, myself, as soon as this podcast, as soon as we're done here with this podcast, I'll be hopping right on a bus and uh, going downtown uh, to support them for the last couple of hours that they're going to be set up today. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? If you're gung ho on the pro health measure rally, you can go to both. They're only a few blocks from each other. Yeah, that's true. They both go on. They both go on for a few hours each day. You can go to both. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the pro, yeah, the pro health measure is only like an hour, hour and a half, but they're there for Alex Dunn from eight till five. So lots of time before, lots of time after. Just saying, what's the reason? Yep. Um, there's also a petition. <laughs> um, what do you feel like with everything going on what do you feel like is needed or necessary for actual change to happen 
I think the most important thing to focus on that could bring about real change is the continued growth of uh, grassroots organizations um, and uh, especially a focus on our ability to um, commit to mutual aid um, and also to organize against the government when they do things that we believe are harmful to us uh, and that we are opposed to. Uh, you know, as we find ourselves in increasingly extreme conditions, we're going to find that uh, the government uh, isn't going to take care of us. We're going to have to take care of ourselves. Um, Lenin, uh, in several of his works, especially uh, State and Revolution, refers to a concept of dual power in which non-governmental um, political organizations, or at least political organizations that uh, aren't the dominant political uh, power uh, working among the working class or rather the working class working through these organizations um, uh, sort of gets to a, a, a position where there's uh, notions of, you know, self-sufficiency and things like that. And um, as we continue to, to grow these grassroots organizations, we will eventually get to um, a point where uh, it really becomes a genuine serious question like where does real power in this colonial state lie like is it with the government or is it with the people uh, and of course real power is always with the people it's always in the hands of the people it's it's just about um, organizing to actually harness that potential yeah yeah I always say that you know, an intelligent society, intelligent species, and intelligent people, whatever you want to call it, would preemptively set up a social structure that would support us as we go through the revolution. Like, mm -hmm. especially now with like, we have social media, like we can coordinate like we've never coordinated before. We're able to watch the revolution in real time as opposed to watching it or hearing about it in the news or like reading it in a book like 40 years later, like we can live stream it. We can have these conversations. We can we can support each other, but we just have to get over the being afraid of change part. <laughs> I'd say um, really the sort of um, grand goal here, you know, uh, is, you know, building this real movement which seeks to abolish the present state of things. That's what Marx and Engels say. Um, and, you know, that really is uh, what, what has to be done. Like, that's not for me uh, an exaggeration. Like, the abolition of the present state of all things is what is um, necessary for a, uh, a just society. Like, colonialism, white supremacy, and exploitation are baked into the fabric of, you know, every fabric of our society. And... Um, you know, the only way we're going to achieve uh, a just and fair society uh, is one in which the settler colonial state has been abolished and indigenous nations have been reconstituted and um, the means of economic productions are in the hands of those who uh, work those means of production and the land is in the hands of, you know, everybody commonly. The land back. Um, yeah, exactly. Like land back means land back, like nothing short of, you know, the abolition of the Canadian state once again, and the reconstitution of indigenous nations. Yes. Yeah. And I can't even stress enough that like, 
the way that our system is set up right now in Canada just perpetuates the genocide of Indigenous people and white people. We need to freaking be real about that. Like your everyday life, if you just live it not noticing it, you're perpetuating genocide. And I stand by that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have one and a half more questions for you. Sure. So what is your final statement for the people? Uh, my final statement for the people, I guess I'd say, uh, uh, in, in, in conclusion, I encourage nothing but the struggle. Um, if that may, if that makes sense, like yeah. this, this, this isn't the, the time for idle hands or, or indecision, uh, you know, now is, now is the time for action. That's what John Brown says. These men are all talk and what we need is action. Yeah. Um, you uh you have to get involved uh it's not a question anymore or rather there is one question there is only one question left and it's you know which side are you on um you know if you think you're not choosing a side then you have you absolutely have to um uh remain uh, so to say, in the center is to stand on the side of the oppressors. To be passive is to allow injustice to continue. And we are all guilty of the good that we don't do. Uh, the question now is, which side are you on? And you have to get involved. You must choose a side and you must get involved. And there are endless things to get involved in, you know, um, you get involved with mutual aid, get involved with, you know, uh, ARA or BLM or the community, YYC or Inclusive Canada, you know, any, whatever, you know, there's so many organizations working in Canada or uh, Calgary uh, and Alberta and, and Canada right now, you know, um, that are, are, you know, pretty solid and really, you know, building some really great ground here. Um, and, you know, I would encourage everybody to look at all these different organizations, you know, read their statements, uh, you know, look at their past actions, see what one you think uh, will fit you best and approach them and ask them how to get involved. You know, like, you know, above all else, remember that it's right to rebel. We live in an unjust society. And it is right to rebel against that injustice always. Yes, it is. Yes, it fucking is. Where can people find you? Um, the best place to get in contact with um, me or my organization specifically would be to look up Calgary Anti-Racist Action on Facebook. Uh, you can see all of our posts there. And, you know, we post a lot of uh, news of our own, you know, uh, opinion pieces on things. And uh, as well, we post, uh, you know, share news about what's going on in Calgary with different stuff like that. That's what we do just on the page. Uh, if you'd want to get uh, more involved or know more about us, just message the page. You'll get like an automated response that we have set up at first, but eventually we'll get back to you right now. There's only two people who are moderating the page. It's just me and Jason. So either uh, him or myself will get uh, back to you at our earliest convenience. Yeah. And near, near the end of September, please keep a lookout on the anti-racist action page and on 
the community YYC page on Facebook because both of them will be posting a date and a um, event where William and his partner are going to be explaining. Do you want to take? Do you want to take it from here? What are you going to explain to the people in this in your seminar? Um, we are going to be explaining the history of fascism and the opposition to it, um, both in world history, but also specifically um, here in Calgary, uh, like as well. Um, we'll be discussing like the history of actual actions that have taken place as law, as well as the history of like fascist ideology and anti-fascist ideology um, and uh, how they have changed. Uh, throughout the years and, uh, you know, educating people on, um, you know, certain important terms they might not know about, like, what is dog whistling? You know, if you don't know what that is, I'm not going to explain it here. You're going to have to tune in to uh, the talk that Jason and I give. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so excited. I'm going to learn so much from that talk. But Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. But until then, this was great. And thank you so much for being on the show. And I appreciate you so much. Yeah, no, thank you. This was like super cool. This is the first time I've ever been on a podcast. Um, I hope it went well. I hope I, you know, I hope, I hope everything, yeah, I hope everything went well and I hope, uh, I hope people perfect. enjoyed. It was so perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. Cut.